got you into it and saying, this is the path that I want to follow? Well, I grew up here on the farm my entire life and watched okay. my parents. They both worked on the farm. Um, my dad, that's that's what he does. He farms. His hobbies are farming. His extracurricular is farming. He is just fully immersed in the farm. And I think that at the end of the year, always when we go into harvest, which is my favorite time of the year, you can just you can see the joy and all the farmers in the community celebrating that they are pulling off this crop and they really take a great sense of pride in feeding the world and being able to provide a service. You know, I think it's like a it's they've got a lot of personalities that enjoy serving others. Because oftentimes you'll hear, well, who wants to go into farming? It's a lot of work. It's expensive. It's exhausting, but it's beyond, like you said, it's, it's giving back to the community. It's serving a community. It's deeper than just a monetary return, isn't it? It's very true. I try to find a balance in it because sometimes it is very exhausting and you wonder why you're doing it or when you're first putting the crop in and you're spending a boatload of money wondering, will I get that back? Like, will mother nature be kind? Will the crop prices be kind? But I don't know. It's just, there's something about like working with your hands in the soil, being so connected to that, to the earth and growing things. I think that seeing something grow that is needed and provides for others. And I'm not even quite sure how to put it into words, but that's why people love to garden. That's why, you know, they'll turn their yards into beautiful landscapes of flowers. Cause it's, there's something about growing life. It's amazing. And it's pretty cool to see as, as the world is shifting, more individuals are starting to think about vertical farming or greenhouses at home because they're saying, well, we're worried about food shortage and uh, where the world's headed on that level and the cost of the grocery stores at this moment in time. It's astronomical. I mean, meat. I know all of our grocery prices have gone up so much. Mm-hmm. I know uh, a couple of years ago when I was teaching in a junior high classroom, uh, we bought a vertical grow tower for the classroom. So the kids could actually plant their own plants and it would grow a lot faster than right. it did outside. And because we're limited in our climate, but yeah, it was really neat just to see how many people are so interested, starting to becoming more interested in where their food comes from and how they can do it themselves. What do you guys typically grow at your farm? Uh, we're mostly a grain farm. So grain. we have wheat and barley and peas yeah. and canola. So have you seen a rise due to the local breweries across Alberta? Well, yeah, usually prices are pretty good. I don't know if that's like the direct rise from it. There is some really cool local um, breweries by us, like in Strathmore, that um, they grow their own malt barley. They malt it and then they produce their own beer. Shout out to Origin. Yeah, to Origin. That's right. (laughs) You know, as a farmer and as an individual here in Alberta, obviously you caught my attention for various reasons. One, you're not afraid of opinion or backlash or the fear of judgment. I think that's pretty admirable in this day and age. Well, it's not that I'm not afraid of it because it does hurt if you get backlash or judgment, but I just feel like I I wish other people would speak their minds and be able to have that civil discourse. Right. That's what we're lacking. There's too many opinions being thrown out with anger behind them and unwillingness to listen to someone that might have an opposing opinion. You know, the listening, we're, we're shouting, but we're not letting the other speak. And right. the, the dialogue is not happening the way communication should. Like we're having in a podcast where you speak, I speak. Right. doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> and you can smile and you can disagree and it's okay. It's okay. You know, let people live. 
Right. Why is this election that's coming up so vital for Albertans? Um, I think that people have been, a large group of people have been very frustrated with um, not just the government mandates of the last couple of years, but the government overreach, that they're kind of, there's no checks and balances anymore. We, we elect them as our representatives, but I don't feel that they represent necessarily all the time. There's not the communication between the grassroots people that elected them and the people that are leading and making the mandates or the policies that govern us. Yeah. How did it come about that there's a shift in perspective and an uproar? I think social media plays a, a large part in it because I think we're told all the time that there's this great divide between the city and the rural and we're very divided and we're pulled apart but when I stop to think about it are we actually divided or are we just told all the time that we're divided that's the message and the narrative that's put out there but I, I don't feel the divide I go to the city quite often I have lots of city friends lots of mm -hmm. engaged city people right. and I, being a rural person I don't find that we're divided so I don't know if that's maybe the media doing that or and what are they saying in terms of the divide, in terms of different perspectives? Is that what yeah, they're saying? Perspectives, I think politicizing agriculture and our divide, like right now with um, the federal government wanting to, you know, reduce nitrogen so that we can combat climate change and reduce emissions. And I, from what I've heard, they're not going to mandate it right now. It's going to be elective. Which I can't imagine any farmer around me electing to reduce their nitrogen by 30% and thus decreasing their yields just because that's an option. And is that what you would have rather had is, you know, individuals from the government come to you and all of you as farmers and say, what can we do here? Rather yeah. than, or somewhere making that decision when they probably haven't had their, got their hands dirty ever. Right, like come talk to the people that are actually living that life and see if you can figure out a, a solution to an issue. But first, make sure that it is a true issue as well. Because sometimes right. like you can pull science from all over the place and get things, but really have like a heartfelt look at what is happening right now. I think they talked about that with the, I think was it the blowers? They want to change them from gas to electric here. Oh, they, yeah. They think it's polluting the environment. I think there's other things we can work on before that, you know? So many things. And that's I come back to balance. Like, okay, let's, you gotta, I know, like, obviously as farmers, I always advocate that, like, we are stewards of the land. I don't know many people that would be as connected to the soil and this earth as the farming community. So do you think that we're actually going to put waste into our land that is not going to be used or that we're going to try to harm our environment no we've spent our lives trying to take care of it and better it while also balancing it with the mandate of feeding the world in this off months or is there any off months in farming well it depends on on each farm situation is different but for us there's like the winter is like less busy usually hauling food, but yeah it's definitely off months in the winter what do you do to pass time and keep yourself busy as a farmer during those months as a farmer oh well I think if anything I've learned from COVID is you've got to pack everything into your life you can so that feels like what we've been doing the last while mm -hmm. so whether it's like seasons tickets to dogs baseball which is obviously long time winter but my son's hockey had 55 games last year my daughter's volleyball took us like the international tournaments and 
And then, I don't, I don't know, we're just always trying to engage in the community out to the local restaurants, shop parties, cabarets. So you're in Blackie, Alberta, is that correct? Yep, just outside of Blackie, yeah. What's the nearest town around there? Gosh, it's been a while. Blackie is our nearest, and there's also Mossley to the Mossley, east. yes, okay, yeah. And then, of course, Stradmore, but... Yeah, and those are kind of our communities, High River, Okotoks. Nice. Longview's beautiful. Yeah, Longview's be very beautiful. Oh, and my Longview goodness. Steakhouse. We'll have to give a shout out to the steakhouse if you ever need a good steak. Camping. And the service there? <laughs> yeah. Lo love, Sam. I mean, I think we had recently heard about this fertilizer concern in the media. What's been going on around that? And is that a big scare for farmers and ag industry as a whole? I think it's a huge scare and just even that the government is willing to take that step and also it's it's like it's almost embarrassing to us that it's like a slap in the face like you want us to reduce our nitrogen that we're directly using to grow the food do you understand like the implications of that right. I think if you look at the Netherlands and what the Netherlands are having they had a major reduction though of like 85 to 90 percent reduced nitrogen and the farmers have gone crazy. They are like protesting and shutting down things saying, no, this is not what our elected representatives need to be doing. And they have the support of the entire country. When we look at the UCP leadership and where it's headed, choosing the next leader, who do you look for, I guess, as a person in the ag industry for the next leader in the UCP? Uh, probably someone that's been connected with the grassroots that understands and has been out there talking to the people. There's lots of names, you know, of, of ones that have communicated with right. the egg industry and with the local farmers. So just looking at the local level. And then <laughs> yeah, I went to the Western Standard UCP frontrunners debate. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. I actually just ended up that I went on my own, which was not usually my comfort zone or whatever, but I walked into the room. And not too long afterwards, I seen a couple people that were like pivotal to me surviving COVID, basically, that were there in that room to watch this debate also. And I remember thinking, you know, these leaders are doing a great job of, of spreading their message and standing up for freedoms and autonomous Alberta and, and appeasing the people. But really what they need is the people that are in that room, they need to have, they need to be listening to those people. So I seen like Dr. Eric Payne. Uh, Sean Newman, who's also a fellow podcaster, people that are willing to talk and have dialogue and listen, that's who I want the leaders to be respecting and taking with them. Do you feel the leadership in the past has let you down personally? I feel like we've had leaders who have done great for the economy and Alberta right. starting to look more promising again, but I think that you also have to realize the devastation that was caused by the mandates. And, you know, now with some of the information coming out, were they, were they all justified? It? Was, was, there, was there information that showed that they were necessary and that they were going to have the benefits that they required, but they still made those decisions at the time. And I know that in that situation, there's no right way to have handled it and you're going to be vilified no matter what. But I think there was some definite missteps taken by our government yeah you know hindsight right it's easier yeah. said than done i can't imagine being in any of their shoes during that period of time walking the talk too a little bit if you're going to make the mandates and you know we're, we're giving up our christmases with our families and we're not socializing and then there's the pictures coming up uh, like the rooftop drinks around the table with the inner circle like 
It's almost like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough one to digest. You know, who to vote for in this next race? I have um, like two front runners, the, basically the two that were the freedom fighters. That's what I call it, because I have a freedom fighting heart mm-hmm. too, during the last couple of years. And that would be Daniel Smith and Todd Lowen. Um, Todd Lowen, I completely admire what he did in caucus and standing up. He was listening to his uh, constituents. And I don't know if he personally aligned with it or not, but he had stated that like my constituents are what drives my actions. So he ended up, you know, being removed from the UCP and being against the mandates and suffered, you know, at great personal cost for that. And then um, Daniel Smith, you know, uh, for quite a few years, I had a lot of anger as I think did most of Alberta for Daniel Smith but I still continue to follow her over the years and I understood her mind and her heart and where she wanted to take Alberta more. And I, I don't think that we're a province that you make a mistake and you're persecuted for it for the rest of your life. Yeah. She's made her amends and um, yeah. When you look at Travis Taves or Brian Jean, do you just feel they don't connect with the roots or your fundamentals? In terms of values and uh, well, I think that their platforms are all like really well done. Absolutely. And, yeah. They represent well what um the people are wanting. And, you know, Travis is he seems like a great man and he's a rancher too, so he's got an agriculture connection. Yeah. I just at this moment in time have a hard time getting past that he was in uh the inner circle that created right. the madness and caused the job losses and the mental health problems. And you know, he did mm-hmm. speak at the Western Standard Frontrunners debate too about how you know, he, he was faced with a dilemma of, do I go against this narrative that they're talking right now and leave my constituents with less of a voice? Or do I continue being part of this inner circle and try to make positive changes within? So I can respect that as well. Because, you know, oftentimes when you, you pick a leader, we're picking within the top five or the top two, but you're not realizing, no, there's another party to that they're going to be our leader for mm-hmm. and they actually withstand the, the lashbacks and the the jabs right it's are they strong enough to go against the opposition and that's yeah, very what we true. look at yeah you need to look at their um their public persona and how well spoken they are if they can get their point across if their backbone mm-hmm feistiness so I think still like my top two picks I think they have it and you know like Daniel Smith she's feisty she's ready to take on like Trudeau she's ready to take on all the levels that she needs to. when you look at Alberta as a whole what do you envision our province to be I envision us to be that's a very good question I think that we could be well we can be a pillar of energy agriculture of some of those major industries we have been in the past we can be again definitely but also i think that with our drive towards you know creating some autonomy for our own province we can show that you can you can have that autonomy that you can set your own policies and still operate within the umbrella of canada and not be against them but really celebrating the 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 goodness that we have in our province right now before we get going you talked about mental health in the rural communities of Alberta, your colleagues, friends, family, 
has that been affected through the pandemic and everything that's gone on? Oh, it definitely has, same as it has for all other communities, I think. Perhaps in the rural community, day-to-day life at some points didn't seem too much different because we are outside, we're out in the country, we're not usually around large groups of people, we're not, you know, in restaurants and things. So some of those things we didn't notice as much until we went into town to get groceries or to go to restaurants or events. Still, we had to, you know, we missed Christmases, we missed connection with people. And that's the one thing I've learned from COVID is I am not nearly as introverted as I expected I was. I'm very (laughs) And I needed that face-to-face contact and to see someone smile and hugs and the touching and just engagement with people. So I think that everybody out here missed that as well. There's only so much Zoom birthday parties you can do and all that gathering. And then it just became such a drag. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, hopefully one day I can come down and um, learn how to farm from as a city guy. If you ever want to come for a ride in the combine, like the next six weeks, Buddy's seat is open. There's rum and coke in the cooler underneath it. You are welcome to anytime. Thank you. And do you ride as well? You ride the combine? I drive it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Okay. That's awesome. Into that at all. Yeah. What was it like for you? Uh, Well, that goes back to the mental health part too, being kind of the most significant thing to look at. I think for me with COVID is I had this classroom full of kids that I was used to spending my entire day laughing with and then all of a sudden we were put into a zoom meeting that I wasn't even sure how to operate zoom lots of teachers really struggled with that the kids their families didn't know how to some of them didn't have enough wi-fi or broadband out in the country so it was really tough to try to keep that engagement and still create some laughter and enjoyment and learning online have a, fr- a couple friends here that are teachers. I'm thinking, how in the world did you get your kid to sit down, your student to sit down and press the mute button just to listen to you and not unmute and make some jokes? Because, you know, children are children. Yeah, it took a lot of, you have to be creative. And I don't even know if I did as good a job as I should have. I tried and I, I know I'm a good teacher, but this was a totally different medium to try to do it with because I'm used to being a good teacher because of the connection. But I remember I'd be, like sitting in my bathtub downstairs because it's got like the big vinyl wall behind it and writing with my whiteboard markers on it. And the kids think it was funny because I'm recording like a math video from my bathtub, but it worked great as a white wall or for May 4th, like may the force be with you, Star Wars day. Tried to create, you know, a Star Wars themed Pythagorean theorem lesson. And (laughs) I don't know, trying to pull things out of everywhere and make something interesting and then always just being available that the kids could connect with you because right. you know if they're sitting home alone all day by themselves I don't know it was just like a very very sad yeah, you know it's not easy as adults I can't even imagine as children because that's what you look forward to is seeing your friends and right. hanging out and laughing and pulling pranks but when you're a, a child at home I mean oh my goodness I mean, you have children. If you told them do your homework, I'm sure there are days that they didn't want to, right? right. So just like we did at one point in time. Right. So imagine getting them to sit on a desk all day and do all these things. Can't go see your friends. That's hard. I can't imagine. Will we see something down the line of PTSD trickling in? How we wouldn't yeah. with across the board. Like- I see like my, my own mental health as an adult, how much of a struggle it was to keep 
head above water. And that's why I like referenced like Dr. Eric Payne and Sean Newman and some of the people that yeah. you had to listen to off of podcasts or social media to be able to engage. But the kids, I don't know, that was, I talked to my own kids about what they had to give up and just like the look of sadness that comes into their eyes all of a sudden, they just, they don't even want to remember it. When you look at your mental health today, now things are open, are you better? Or are you scarred? Is that wound still open? I'm scarred. I don't think that that like the scar doesn't ever go away. You always remember it. But I think that you choose to take that scar and do something good with it. And I think that's why I've chosen to be a little bit more outspoken just in conversations with people or mm -hmm. on my social media about politics, because I, I want a better path for us. I don't want us to be in the situation again. Mm -hmm freedom loving hearts so you call yourself a freedom fighter and oftentimes we are I guess confused by it sounds like someone that's really angry it does sound because of the fighter part and i'm not i don't even enjoy confrontation the least little bit exactly right and i see a lot of people that don't i where did that word come from and and what does it mean to you as a freedom fighter are we not in freedom the I land of the brave and free <laughs> Well, we, we have the, the opportunity to be that fully. We just had a little bit of a, a blip where we need to correct a few things. Probably a better term would be freedom lover instead of freedom fighter. But also the fighter leads to the fact that there's there's been a large, large group of people that have been working for the last couple of years at getting information out, at writing letters right. to their MPs and their MPs, at joining convoy boys, at having rallies at having you know social potlucks to try to bring some community that's like the fighting it's like a positive fighting though right it's putting the energy and the effort into it mm -hmm. i think that's kind of more the context of yeah. where the words would be do you think after this hiccup that we've all gone through as a world there will be peace and people will find solace within it and not hold anger resentment and and continue to stay bitter because we're seeing both sides of the spectrum, right? We are. I don't know what that's, it's that's tough. a giant, <laughs> giant thing to bridge, but I think that's where we're trying to head, right? Mm -hmm. Even with um, like the Freedom Convoy, I didn't realize that there was people who thought negatively about it because I seen the Freedom, Freedom Convoy coming together and I was following it from like my rural setting and thinking, oh my gosh, like we're not alone. There's other people that are against government overreach, whether it's for the COVID mandates or whatever, but they're, they want more freedom, more independence. They don't want the government to be able to shut down their jobs all of a sudden or, or tell them they can't see their families. Mm -hmm. They stop the government overreach. So I found like that was a very unifying thing for a lot of people that were sitting in all these different little spots all by themselves, feeling very alone. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden... They had one of like the yeah. hugest movements in Canadian history. And now, like I know then that people were thinking also on the other side of it negatively and thought, oh, these people are just creating a ruckus or I'm not even sure exactly what right. they thought. But now there's like more information coming out about what was actually happening at the Freedom Convoy. If you weren't there, if you weren't part of it, there's books being written about it. There's newspaper articles coming out. There's, you know, court cases with the government, basically. You know, it's pretty interesting to see though that there's so many different perspectives and now you said like books are coming out you know poems or whatever is going on um 
including independent journalism. It's rising. And I think that is amazing. I think that's great. Amazing. Um, now more than ever, you know, there's uh, so many outlets that show a different perspective. Yeah, they may, may not be large, but guess what? They, they're equally as important. And I'm so happy that they're coming out Western St Standard, for example. Or even your own, like you're, yeah. it's growing fast all the time. And the people that you get on your show, I was <laughs> kind of surprised. Like, what, you want to talk to me? You talk to big names. That's amazing. Yeah, but you know what? It's, we all matter. We, each and every one of us from different perspectives, opinions, doesn't, who cares? I don't have to agree with them, but I can listen. Yeah, I think that's I probably know. the biggest, like the two things that I've learned from the, the last couple of years that have been happening is that we need civil discourse because the the internet can be a very angry hostile place and mm. people say a lot of things i don't think they would ever say to your face no and oftentimes now you're not even seeing their picture or their name and you don't even know if they are a real account who knows yeah yeah we've <laughs> seen that before yeah. talk civilly to each other and exchange ideas and then also just to grant each other some grace but could you imagine someone waking up every day going on twitter just to blast people I, maybe it's an adrenaline rush. I don't know. <laughs> I understand people are upset, but you know you can converse appropriately. Like you said, if you were face to face with that person, would they speak that way? That's right. Yeah, because I think sometimes, like sometimes, I I send a couple of messages to Justin Trudeau that have some very <laughs> harsh opinions in them, but it, I always say it in a respectful way because he is still a prime minister. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing is, you know, when you look at this whole thing, has independent journalism been beneficial for you? And do you read it compared to, you know, we hear that word mainstream media? A hundred percent. I can't even think of the last time I've watched mainstream media. Once in a while, my husband will have the news on in the morning mm -hmm. and as he leaves for the farm, I shut it off. I just, I can't watch it. I don't trust anything that comes out of it anymore. It's all the independent that I love. You know it's not government funded. It's they might be biased one way or have a slant, as we all have natural biases, anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's not the government's bias. Were you uh, were you proud to see uh, Canada come as a whole to Ottawa? The most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. It, and I didn't end up going to Ottawa, but we did convoys here in Alberta, and it was incredible. And I followed it very thoroughly, and, and I just it's so amazing to feel like. We are not alone. There is millions of people that need the government to relinquish their mm. control. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you do and for the engagement and listening to people and just bringing all the perspectives on. I super appreciate that.